listening to the Energy Policy Podcast, a production of the Center for the New Energy Economy at Colorado State University. I'm your host, Tom Plant. I'm your co-host, Jeff Ling. And this month, we're examining net metering. We started with a, a sort of overview of net metering a couple of weeks ago. Last week, we looked at the utility perspective, why they're opposing net metering in so many states around the country this year. And uh, this week, we're going to be looking at some of the perspectives of the advocates, which is primarily the solar industry. That's the industry, the, right. That's, the, that's been the, the net metered um, technology, for the most part, has been solar. So they've really been at the forefront of this argument. So, Tom, the industry, the advocates, one of the things that, that you'll hear is that uh, they feel there's a net benefit uh, from solar, right? So we, we talked a little bit last week about how the utilities would argue that there's a cross-subsidization, that solar owners aren't paying their fair share of the grid costs. And in this case, the industry would say, I think, a few things. One, there's cross-subsidization that's happening really kind of in many different places, right? New utility customers are subsidized by old utility customers for the infrastructure. But in this case, more importantly, that the benefits of a, so a customer installing solar outweigh the costs of the incentive that everyone pays, right? So the avoided transmission, the avoided distribution, the avoided generation, the societal benefits are all a net positive to the entire sort of rate base, uh, not just to that solar customer. Not to mention a reduction in demand and during the day when, when exactly. utilities are trying to meet rising demand. So they would say that this is, this is the value of solar that far exceeds any cost that the utility might point to. And that value of solar is uh, part of the name of a policy that's really become uh, something that people are looking at today, the value of solar tariff, or VOST, which was introduced in, in uh, Minnesota. We'll talk a little bit about that later when we talk about policies next week, I think. Right, and uh, uh, we're going to post, I think, a Rocky Mountain Institute paper that looked at the various studies, kind of a meta-study of all the uh, cost and benefit analyses that are out there. We'll post that on the podcast uh, site. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of math that goes into this, a lot of engineering. <laughs> and what's the value of a reduced demand on growth in transmit, et cetera, et cetera? So I'm going to pull away from that for just a second because there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who will give you some math out there. But let's just look at another argument, which is really just a real basic argument. This is a public policy objective. This is, this is clean generation. It's generation that's located uh, close to the load or distributed generation. This has a value, and this is something that we've been trying to promote as a public policy objective for years. Um, and because of our efforts... Uh, over the last decade to try and promote this industry and to promote the growth of the industry, we've seen the costs of solar come way down. So we've got this policy that's been incredibly successful, expanding knowledge and, and participation in the solar industry. Why would we want to do something now that would, that would really be a detriment to that industry and really, really hit the growth of the industry just as it's starting to pick up and just as it's starting to get... Uh, penetration around the country. Yeah, boy, is it ever. You know, there are 173,000 people in the U.S. employed in the solar industry. Uh, since 2010, that's an 80% growth rate. California alone, there are 55,000 people working in the solar industry, uh, 9,000 people in Arizona. So to your point, Tom, this is a very real part of the economy. Uh, solar poles very high, right? Do you ask people, would you like your utility to offer more solar power? Again and again and again, uh, that's a very sort of positive response. So 
the jobs are uh, public policy, but also the job creation has been uh, incredible. Absolutely. The economic impact has been tremendous around the country. And, you know, it's also because of this growth and because of the drop in cost and because of the predictability of things like net metering laws, mm -hmm. uh, we've really brought large institutional investment into the arena of solar energy, where it used to just be, you know, you'd have to come up with $20,000. Come up with the money. Right. <laughs> go out and buy it. You know, that's very limiting, and who can participate in that kind of a market? But now we've got companies that are bringing in large capital investors. They're doing these what's called third-party leasing that reduces the costs of solar energy. And we're seeing it now become a resource that's uh, more affordable to more people and actually even lowering their utility costs. And if just looking at a specific example, I think a big place in, in California, California may be the best uh, sort of example of this of tiered pricing, right? The inverted block uh, pricing where the more you use, the more you pay on a, on a 500 kilowatt hour block. So if, if a customer that is using a lot of energy is able to go from a high block down to a low block, reduce their consumption and pay less per kilowatt hour. I think that's been a really strong uh, market for the industry, but it's not the only market, right? Uh, we've seen a lot of growth in low income systems and uh, and uh, lower lower income uh, uh, brackets, and lower I think credit this is, ratings. This is something that you know people aren't really because you they there is a traditional view of solar that it's only for the wealthy, but in fact. The market has changed so substantially that it is now a cost-saving technology. Well, and now it's all about financing, right? right. Um, and we finance everything uh, in America. We finance our cars, our homes. Uh, we ought to be able to finance our solar systems. We ought to be able to participate in programs even if we don't own a home and don't have solar access, the uh, community-shared so concepts that right. are out there. And there's, so there's policies that have been involved to, to address those markets, and we'll talk about those a little bit more in, in future podcasts as well. Also, we've seen businesses seeing solar as a way of hedging against fluctuations in utility prices. If you can buy a solar system, finance it over 20 years, you know exactly what your utility bill is going to be every, every month. You have that certainty. You have that certainty, and, and businesses certainly, uh, certainly value that. So it's really been a changing marketplace, and at the heart, at the crux of that changing marketplace has been this policy of net metering that we see in 43 states around the country. And so these are some of the arguments that the advocates would, uh, would propose against the arguments that we talked about last week from the utilities. All of which I think we would say are, are valid arguments. Uh, as in future podcasts under this net metering topic, we're going to dig into the solutions, right? We're going to look at uh, some of the public policy solutions that have been proposed to deal with the uh, maintaining utility revenue but meeting the market demand for solar uh, that the consumers are asking for. So now we've, we've covered net metering, we've covered the opponent's arguments, we've covered the supporters' arguments, and uh, so next week we're going to start diving into those solutions. Great. All right. You've been listening to the Energy Policy Podcast, a production of the Center for the New Energy Economy at Colorado State University. You can listen to all of our podcasts at policypodcast.com. I'm your host, Tom Plant. I'm your co-host, Jeff Ling. Thanks a lot for listening.